Acts 2, Part 3, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Sunita Pontan. So I have a few friends that I like to tease very often. When we were in seminary, um, well, still, they love church. And not just church, they love revivals. And um, if there was a, t- a revival going on anywhere in like 20 or 30 miles, they are there. They search on Google. They look on church calendars. They are always looking to go to a revival. They love the music and they love the preaching. They love to hear God's word and the worship, but they also love the experience, this sort of like high worship experience that revivals can bring. Now, if you're not familiar with them, revivals are usually evening worship services that go on three to five days in a week. People come from all over to hear the revivalist, who's usually a pretty well-known preacher from out of town. The choir or the worship team has been praying and preparing for weeks on end, so they are like at their best. And the churches have been praying for these services in the hopes that people will come who don't know Christ and dedicate their lives to Christ. And it's an opportunity to invite non-believers. But for the Christians who attend, for the believers who attend, these are the hardcore Christians. They love to sit in worship. They love to hear um, the music and the experience. And they are energized and excited to be there. And it is powerful when you go to a good revival. My friends lived for these things, Um, these mountaintop experiences of praising God with other Christians. And just like many of my friends, I think there are some of you who also like those really high worship experiences. Sometimes it's a deliverance service where there's prayer and there's healing taking place. Sometimes it's an all-night prayer service. I was so surprised to find out that even Koreans do these all-night prayer services where you're praying and calling out to God into the wee hours of the morning. Um, These are experiences that we love. Have you ever had one of these experiences before? Maybe maybe it was when uh, you first found Jesus. And the flood of God's love just kind of overcame you when you finally said yes. These experiences are the best. They are like the spiritual high. It's that moment that changes us, even in the tiniest of ways, and draws us closer to God. It's as close as we get to the Pentecost experience that we see in the beginning of Acts chapter 2. We love these mountaintop experiences, but how do you go from the moment of Pentecost to living a life filled with the Holy Spirit? How do we orient our lives so that it's not just this one moment, but it's an outgrowth of the Pentecost experience? Now, I have to admit, this is not my original question. Um, I borrowed this question from one of my former professors, Dr. Willie Jennings, and he reminds us that the Holy Spirit is not for a moment, but it is to invade our entire lives. The book of Acts begins with the coming of the Holy Spirit, but the remaining chapters are really all about how the Holy Spirit works through the church on a continual basis. There's a life-changing moment, but now the question remains, now what? What happens when the songs are over? What happens when the crying has stopped? What happens when you've gotten up from the altar, the lights have come back on, and you have to return to life as usual? That's what the book of Acts is about. We're five weeks into our our session with the book of Acts, and two weeks ago, Pastor Doug talked about the Pentecost experience described at the beginning of Acts chapter 2. 
where divided tongues as a fire rested on all who were present. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages. It was a public witness to the world of God's power at work. And it was awesome. The spirit was so high and people's hearts were so open that Peter preached and people wanted to know, what do I do now? And Pastor Peter, like the Apostle Peter, reminded us last week that we need to repent, be baptized, and get to know God's word. And just like that, in that early church, 3,000 people were baptized and the early church began. But now what? If you're a Christian, you want the Holy Spirit in your life, but it's not always going to be the mountaintop experiences. How do we move from a moment of Pentecost so that our lives are our are, are, are outgrowth of that experience? How do we become people who don't just live for the high? How do we allow the Holy Spirit to invade our lives? Now, we sometimes get it wrong, but the work of the Holy Spirit is not for a moment. It is to press into the normal and mundane and daily activity of our lives. It's a new way of life where Jesus is at the center and the Holy Spirit empowers us out in the world. And what this text shows us today is that this new way of living in the Holy Spirit is about living in community. The Holy Spirit gives us the gift of community, what the Bible calls in the Greek, kononia. The word that we have for fellowship in verse 42 is kononia in the Greek. Now, many of us have heard this word before in churches or maybe in your college ministries. It's the essence of the Christian life. It's fellowship. But not just fellowship, but gathering together under the shared conviction of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it manifests itself in solidarity and mutual relationship. It's the gathering of believers, but it's based upon deep relationships that support one another. That's what the Holy Spirit creates. And kononia only happens with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we see with the early church. This is a new way of living. It was new for the first church, and it seems absolutely foreign to many of us now. To be honest, when I first read this text, I became anxious. I am an introvert, and one of the words that stood out to me was the word together. Now, I learned years ago that if you hear a word repeated multiple times in Scripture, you need to pay attention to it. In those seven short verses that I read to you, the word together is repeated three times. Now, my tendency is to want to run away, to be alone, a lot. But these verses are a reminder to people like me that we can't be lone Christians. We have to be in community with one another. That God has created the Christian experience to be, dare I say the word, together. Together. But this is not a bad idea. See, it's not about introvert and extrovert. It's actually about breaking down the walls of individualism that divide us. It's about tackling selfishness. It's about learning dependency on the other and care for the other. It's about destroying this ethic that life is only about me and mine. It's not America first, but God's kingdom first. It's not me first, but we first. And this 
was no small task, not for the early church, and it's not for us. Now, I realize that here at Metro, there are a lot of people who come here because they've been hurt by their former churches. And so the idea of being together with a new group of people is hard. And so I want to invite you to heal. But I also want to invite you to allow the Holy Spirit to heal with us together. Healing can only be done with the power of the Holy Spirit. Like ours, that first church was a diverse group of people. This group of believers were from various Jewish nations. They spoke different languages. They were from different classes. It kind of reminds me about Metro in some ways, their ethnic diversity, the different native languages, the socioeconomic status, the difference, the diversity in age and marital status and ability. This is what the church is supposed to be. But it takes the Holy Spirit to make us not just a group of people who show up for like a concert, let's say, but to really become community, to be kononia. What makes the difference? These people allowed the Holy Spirit to interrupt their lives, to transform them. They allowed the Holy Spirit to move not just for a moment, but in their entire lives. So how do we do this? How do we orient our lives to be people of the Spirit beyond Pentecost? What is required of us to orient our lives as an outgrowth of the Pentecostal experience? The first thing we need is devotion. Devotion is the first requirement. If we look in verse 42, it reads, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Devotion is a serious matter. It's a powerful word. It, word. it means to adhere to with strength continuously. There are three parts to devotion. There is to adhere to something or to follow something. What are you devoted to? The second thing is to give it your full support and strength. Are you all in? And third, it's to do so continuously. Are you consistent? That's how you measure your devotion. In relationships, there might come a point when you ask your partner, are you devoted to me? Are you committed to me? God asked the same of us. But too many of us are commitment phobes. We refuse to commit to anything out of fear or rebellion. For some of you, you've studied all kinds of world religions and you still come back to Christianity, yet you won't commit yourself to Christ and be baptized. You're weighing your options and hedging your bets on eternity. But last week, Pastor Peter urged you to commit to Christ and commit to being baptized, maybe taking the confirmation class. Affirm your devotion to Jesus Christ. Sign up to be baptized. Sign up for the confirmation classes. There are some of you who attend Metro regularly. This is where you give your tithes and offering. You've contributed to the Beyond a Building campaign. Let's don't forget our commitments there. You may even serve in a ministry, but you haven't become a partner or an official member of Metro yet. And partner is the term we use because we want you to take ownership in this, that we're in this together. It's time to stop dating Metro and put a ring on it. I'm just saying. <laughs> Affirm your devotion to Metro. If you haven't gone to one before, go to a Connections dinner. 
sign up for the partnership class. The Bible says that the early church was devoted to the community. But what, what else were they devoted to? The early Christians were devoted to the teaching of the apostles, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. And this was a continual devotion. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, what were the apostles' teaching? It was the holy scriptures from the people who were actually firsthand witnesses to Jesus and his ministry on earth. It was the promises of the Old Testament that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It was about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was that Jesus is Lord and Messiah. It was a call to repent and be baptized, thereby receiving forgiveness of sins and the promised Holy Spirit. It's the same teaching that we have in our Bibles today. Learning about Christ teaches us to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And here the Bible highlights their devotion to learning about Christ in community. They were also devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to doing life together. They were devoted to being in relationship with one another and maintaining those relationships. They entered the community because they believed in Jesus and they stayed. They found a group of believers and they were committed to growing together and advancing God's work. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. Here in verse 42, it emphasizes the Lord's Supper, which we will celebrate later today. The Lord's Supper was important because in the act of breaking the bread and sharing the wine, the community remembered Jesus and his sacrifice on their behalf. Verse 46, however, also highlights that they were together at home. Verse 46 says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They fellowshiped outside of worship. In their off time, they spent time with one another. They ate meals together where they could share life and build relationships. It symbolized community, and Christ was present with them there as well. And they were devoted to prayer. The early church was disciplined enough to have daily rhythms of prayer. The book of Acts emphasizes the importance and the power of prayer in the Christian life. Prayer indicated a dependence upon God, and we see this from the very beginning when they're finding a replacement for Judas. And next, when Peter prays for boldness and when he's freed from prison, and, and Stephen prays for those people who are stoning him, when Paul escapes death. So to become people who live out of the Pentecost experience, we must be devoted, and devoted specifically to God's word, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and praying regularly. Now second, what was required of them was vulnerability. Vulnerability was required of them. Now if you don't like the word together, vulnerability will make you run for the heels. <laughs> but please just stay with me for a little bit. Living a life inspired by the Holy Spirit involves vulnerability. Let's look at verses 44 through 46. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now the temple drew people to Jerusalem, but now their belief in a resurrected Lord kept them there. They didn't know each other. 
and they spoke different languages, but they were empowered and guided by the Holy Spirit, and so they built relationships through vulnerability. Now, how do I know they were vulnerable with one another? Because the Bible says that the needs of the community were met, which meant that I had to share with you that I had a concern. I had to share with you that I had a problem or a need and that it was a safe place in which to do so. To live the Pentecost life is to be open to the guidance of the Holy Spirit and open to one, of, one another. Now, some of us fear being vulnerable because we don't want to be hurt. It's either happened to us or we've witnessed it happen to someone else. I totally understand. I've seen how people can be demonized and their trust violated when people have shared something they were told in confidence. I've seen people's sins thrown back in their faces as a weapon. But I've also seen men and women strengthened in a Holy Spirit-filled community where they can own their truth in such a powerful way that it cannot be used against them anymore. I have a friend who was in a secret relationship with someone who held a prominent position in the organization. They worked together. And while neither one was married at the time, the relationship became public after it was learned that he sent her away to have an abortion. Yes, she dealt with shame and guilt, but God has healed her heart. Now, I saw her demonized for her past. I've seen people bring it up in really hurtful ways. But I've also seen her stand proudly and declare that she is a beloved child of God that she made mistakes like we all do, and she has sought and found forgiveness in Jesus Christ. She stands firmly in God's promises in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that says, if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. She stands solid on Romans 8, 1 that says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. She carries no shame or guilt anymore and her truth cannot be used against her. She stands in it and she stands in God's word. She was able to do this with the power of the Holy Spirit and with other people around her who loved her and supported her with the love of Jesus Christ. My friend is proof of what author Brene Brown notes, that vulnerability is the only antidote to shame. When we are able to stand in our truth, we are healed, and that's where joy can begin to flourish. True community, true kononia, guided by the Holy Spirit, is full of God's love, God's grace, and God's forgiveness, because we remember that it's only by God's love, grace, and forgiveness that we're all here this morning. It guides us to be loving towards one another and to remind people that no matter what, God is with them. It's this trust and confidence in God that frees us to be vulnerable with one another. The Holy Spirit gives us confidence to be transparent. True community, true kononia is about depth and true knowing and loving of the other. It's not that surface, how was your day? It's much deeper than that. It's what's going on in your life. How are you really doing? How can I pray for you? 
So you all know that I'm single, right? But I hate dating. I do, yeah. I find it frustrating and even heartbreaking trying to find a life partner. Now, some people like dating, they, they like all that, but I hate this idea of having to go through all the proverbial frogs to get to my Prince Charming. <laughs> I know, I'm just saying. <laughs> but the problem is I haven't quite figured out how to get from single to married without dating. And if you remember, dating can be really awkward, especially in the beginning. And online dating is the worst. It is so superficial and shallow. You are choosing someone simply by the picture that they placed online. And we all know that you choose your best picture, right, to put online. I hate it, but I've dubbed it a necessary evil, right, or just maybe plain evil. But what annoys me most about online dating are those first annoying, like, um, awkward first conversations. Before you know anything about the other person, all you know is what's on their profile, and it goes something like this. Hi, nice smile. How are you today? I'm fine, enjoying the warm weather before it gets cold. <laughs> then the checklist begins. Do you have children? Do you want to have children? Do you want to get married? What kind of work do you do? What do you do for fun? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> it's stupid and superficial. But what else can it be because there are no shared connections? There are no shared experiences. Well, that may be the way online dating works, but that's not the way the Christian community is supposed to work. We have a shared experience. We have a shared connection. The Holy Spirit has bound us together through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's get to know each other. Let's go deeper. The Holy Spirit invites us to go deeper with one another, to not just check off the obligatory weekly questions like, how was your week? We were created for depth, for relationships. And vulnerability requires that. It requires depth. It requires accountability. What Pastor Peter talks about so often, having someone in your life that you can be vulnerable with and accountable to. It's what makes programs like AA so successful. There is a sharing that takes place, a mutuality, but it only works if you fully participate in it. We cannot complain about community if we aren't willing to be vulnerable. And we cannot claim to be a community if we don't make a safe space for people to share and tell their truth. So if we want to live out this Pentecost experience beyond just a moment, we need to be vulnerable with one another in our community. Now closely related to vulnerability is compassion. Compassion is the third requirement. We have to be compassionate in community. Now part of the reason people don't like being vulnerable is because they don't trust that they and their secrets will be held in confidence and handled with compassion. People want to feel heard and understood and supported. And we create that space by being compassionate toward one another. 
Compassion is to have genuine care and concern for the other. It is to feel with the other. Let's look back at verses 44 through 46. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. We find here that there is a voluntary sharing to provide for those who do not have the essentials of living. Now, some people wonder, is this like first century communism or something? And no, it's not. It's not because the giving is born out of a love of God and a love for one another. This giving begins with the giving of one to another in relationship, in vulnerability. They created a space among them for those who were in need to share their needs. They trusted one another with their hardships and their stories. And the goal is not the giving of possessions, but the giving up of one another in vulnerability and compassion. But there's another aspect of compassion that this text highlights so beautifully. Compassion is not just about feeling bad for someone. It's about being moved to act with and for someone. Compassion is not passive. When we review the life of Jesus, we see that every time the Bible talks about him having compassion for someone, he moves on their behalf. Let's look at a few examples together. Let's look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 through 38. Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 through 38. Or not. Just know that it's there. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you some scriptures. Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 through 38. Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. Matthew chapter 15, verse 32. So this is an example. Jesus called his disciples and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And then the next one, Matthew 20, verse 34. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. When Jesus had compassion, he did something. When Even when we go back to the Old Testament, when God calls Moses to free the people of Egypt, God tells Moses that he has seen the misery of his people, he's heard their cries, and that's why he's coming down to help them. God doesn't just sit in our suffering. He moves on our behalf, and that's what he's calling us to do. Just like Jesus, when these first believers heard of a need among them, they moved. They didn't just feel sorry for someone. And it wasn't giving for the sake of giving. This was not charity. The giving was to be used to bring people into closer relationship with Jesus Christ. And the early church didn't give out of obligation. They gave out of love. They were eager to do it. Anything that could bridge the gap between abundant life and death, they were willing to give. Was poverty in the way? was hunger, was loneliness, was despair. And they gave what they could to fill the need. When we hear the stories of others, we have to ask ourselves, what is standing in the way of my brother or sister experiencing abundant life? 
What brings death into the life of my brother or sister, and what can I do about it? It's more than just financial needs, even though those are important. But sometimes it's also time and relationships and service. There should be no one in need among us. There is no such thing as a single parent in the body of Christ. There are way too many adults to help parent the children in our churches. And I just want to congratulate the singles ministry for noticing that and taking in and standing in the gap for some parents. There's no such thing as an isolated senior or an elder in the body of Christ. There are way too many children and adults who can love on someone who feels lonely. There's no such thing as children without mentorship or singles without friendships or married couples without double date partners. There's no such thing as the student ministries having to beg for volunteers and teachers. There is no, there should be no need among us. This passage tells us that within a Holy Spirit community, God has already provided everything that we need. We just have to look within and be willing to have compassion toward one another. We have to be willing to take up our role. The sign of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives is our eagerness to give and serve, not just receive and go. And so because I honestly believe that God has provided everything within this metro community, I'm going to share with you a very real and urgent need. There is a family at Metro who is in desperate need of an apartment. They need a two-bedroom apartment. Time is of the essence, and the landlord must be willing to accept a Section 8 voucher. Ideally, the family would be able to stay in Inglewood, but if not, the surrounding towns are acceptable. But I'm sharing this with you, Metro, because I believe that God has placed the answer to this family's need right within our Metro community. And so if you think you can help, or you know someone who can, I urge you to contact me. Our compassion must extend to helping one another. That no one's need will go unmet. It's our physical needs, but also our emotional and our spiritual needs. As Pastor Kevin mentioned, for the past several weeks, many women have been in agony. With the Senate hearings for Judge Brett Kavanaugh, the testimony of Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, and yesterday's confirmation of another man to the Supreme Court who's been accused of sexual assault, many women in our community have felt unsafe. One in four women have been sexually assaulted in some form. And one in, four, and one in six men have experienced some form of sexual violence in their lifetime. The Holy Spirit-filled community must create a space for truth-telling, healing, and restoration. Sexual assault against anyone is wrong, and our community must have enough compassion to call out evil when we see it. We applaud all those who have had the courage to be vulnerable and share their stories. 
As a community, we must stand with survivors and provide hope and support for them where their voices will be heard, their stories will be believed, and their hearts can be made whole. But we must also be a space where men and women can become aware of these issues so that we can be allies for our brothers and sisters. And we must be a space where men and women who may have been perpetrators of this violence can repent, find forgiveness, and be restored to community as well. We do it because we understand that we are all sinners saved by God's grace. We have to be that vulnerable and that compassionate. This is what a Holy Spirit-filled community looks like. And just so you know, as Pastor Kevin mentioned, Metro's working hard toward that end. Pastor Peter and the staff and leadership here at Metro are committed to becoming a community of sanctuary healing and restoration. So we ask for you to pray for us. We ask for your support, for your advice. Because a Holy Spirit-filled community must be willing to have compassion for one another. If we are to orient our lives to be an outgrowth of the Pentecostal experience, we must be devoted. We must be vulnerable. We must have compassion. And finally, we must worship. We must be willing to worship. Let's look at verses 46 and 47. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The early believers worshiped. They worshiped every day in the temple. Now, most of us only come on Sundays. And then there's that faithful crew that always comes out on Wednesday nights at Wednesdays at the well. And we, the Wednesdays at the well, people. Um, and we, we encourage you, if you haven't done so before, to come out on Wednesdays at 7.30 at the office. But the early church didn't just attend corporate worship. That wasn't the only time they praised God. The Bible says that when they broke bread together, they worshiped. They worshiped outside of the structured worship environment. They took their worship with them even when they left the temple. We live out Pentecost in our worship. And we love them, but we don't need Catrice or Eric or, or Rich or Dennis or Sonia. We don't need acoustic guitars or drums. We don't need keyboards or microphones. All we need is a heart filled with worship. All we need is praise in our spirits. All we need is gratitude in our hearts for the Almighty God. We may not ever be on stage, but we can all be a part of what I like to call the joyful noise choir. This is the choir that nobody else wants to hear, but God is pleased. <laughs> you have an audience of one, but that one is the only one that matters. The Holy Spirit fills community is a worshipful community where people are not afraid to worship God. They're not ashamed to, to worship God in their homes and in their cars, at their jobs, wherever they go. So if we wanna live out our Pentecost experience, we are required to be devoted, to be vulnerable, to have compassion and to worship God. And the beauty of this Holy Spirit fills community 
is that we get to be used by God. We get to be used by God. We're going to look at verses 43 and the end of verse 47. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And the end of verse 47, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. God allowed them to experience fruit. They experienced an internal transformation. They had love for God and for one another, but they also saw the power of God at work among them in signs and wonders. And finally, they witnessed the salvation of people daily. I believe that other people saw the transformation taking place within them and it contributed to others becoming saved. Others would see the way that they loved the Lord and they loved one another. They witnessed their level of devotion. They witnessed the difference in a group of people who were so committed to their belief in the resurrected Savior that they were willing to change their lives. They were willing to be devoted and be vulnerable and have compassion and to worship God. That is powerful. Do people see that transformation in our lives? You know, I was really nervous when I first came to Metro. Following the urging of the Holy Spirit, I agreed to come to Metro and take this job sight unseen. I had never heard any of the pastors preach. I had never been to a worship service. I had never walked through those doors before. I didn't know anyone, and I was only following God. All I knew was that Metro was a mostly Korean congregation. Not solely Korean, but mostly Korean and that I would be the only regularly scheduled woman preacher and the only black person on staff. It was frightening. I felt like a small child on the first day of school. Would they like me? Would I have friends? Would I find a community? Would people embrace me? After all, this is not just the place that I would work. This is the place where I would worship and try to live out my faith. Well, Metro, it has been a year now. And I can finally say that Metro feels like home. So many of you have prayed for me and prayed with me. You have invited me into your lives and into your homes. You have become my friends, and some of you have even been my workout buddies. We've laughed together and we've cried together. When I have been in need, you have been there with a hug, a warm smile. You've been there with words of encouragement. You've been there with really good food. And I am grateful for you, and I love you. Thank you. You have, um, you've helped me experience community. You've helped me experience kononia. And it is my hope and prayer that anyone who works, walks through those doors will feel the Holy Spirit so alive in the people here at Metro that they will catch a glimmer of that community.
that kononia that only the Holy Spirit can provide. That no one should walk through that door and feel like an outsider. But they would experience God's community and the Holy Spirit at work right here and feel at home. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for the gift of community that comes with the Holy Spirit. And we know, Lord God, that it can be scary being vulnerable, being devoted, being compassionate for, towards others, even worship God. And so we pray for holy boldness, Heavenly Father, to be the community that you've called us to be. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would move so mightily in this place that not only would our lives be transformed, but we would transform the community around us. God, we pray for the fruit that is promised that you provide in a Holy Spirit-filled community. It is through your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would take out your, uh, your communications card, I want to take you through the next steps. Or you can fill out, the, get, get out the app. If you're new to Metro, just turn over the bulletin, the communications card there. There's some next steps there. The first one is I'm committing my life to Jesus Christ for the first time. Now, maybe you've never made that commitment. We hope that you would do so today, that you would know without a shadow of a doubt that God loves you and that this community will love you. And so if you've never done so before, we ask you to check that box that the Holy Spirit is working on the inside of you. There's a table outside called the next table. If you check off that box, somebody will meet you there and we will pray with you and we will help you understand what's next. Number two, I will be vulnerable with someone this week within my Metro family. We've got to start practicing this. So find someone that you know and that you trust if you haven't already and start sharing with them, open up to them. Number three, I will join a small group and help create a space of vulnerability and compassion. Small groups are still open. And so we hope that you will come together and create these smaller communities because Metro can be really big. But you can find a group of people who will love and support and pray for you and pray with you. Number four, I'm willing to be a part of a brainstorming session to make Metro a community of sanctuary healing and restoration for survivors of sexual assault. If this is on your heart, if this is something that God is calling you to, check that box. As we continue to figure out where we're going, we want your input. Five, sign me up for the next partnership class on December 9th. If it's your time, if God is tugging on your heart, take the next step with Metro and sign up for the partnership class on December 9th. And finally, number six, if you've never been baptized or you haven't gone through confirmation classes, sign up for baptism or for confirmation classes. God bless you, Metro.